Hi, welcome to the Dreamcatchers. We are sisters and business partners, Marissa Klein K and Jamie Klein Stozer. We know a little something about dreaming big. In our day jobs, we run the fashion and media division of our family staffing firm in New York City, Choice Associates. We have built a brand around helping others and good energy. Known in our personal and professional worlds as lightworkers, igniters, and most of all believers, Jamie and I are not only dreamers, but we are doers, and we hope our energy is contagious. On this podcast, we will be chatting to each other and to some of our favorite dream catchers, the people who inspire us not only about career, but about making magic wherever they go. On What's the Word, we will discuss a word, think community, balance, tenacity, etc., in hopes of motivating our audience to incorporate more of that into their lives. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe now and follow us on social media at Dreamcatchers23 for updates and episodes. All right, everyone, we are live. Welcome back to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm Jamie Stozer. I'm here today with my beautiful sister, Marissa, and our lovely guest, Rob Smith, who we're going to let introduce himself in just a second. It is sunny and warmish in New York City. And it's like a Miami day. It feels great. I'm in a great mood today. Um, I'm always in a good mood when I'm on the podcast, but today I'm in particularly good mood. Um, So welcome back to the Dreamcatchers. Today is a what's the word episode, which we will get to in just a moment. Um, And we are so excited to have Rob here with us. We were introduced to him through a member of our Dreamcatchers web, a former client and candidate of ours. Um, Laura Belvedere, and we are so, so happy to have Rob here with us today. Marissa, do you have anything you wanted to add? And then we can have Rob introduce himself. I mean, I think our audience and Rob's audience are in for a treat today. I mean, there's not a person you mentioned this man's name to that is not excited to hear what he has to say. And I was privy to spend a Friday night phone call with him that I, you know, might have been one of the more fun things I've done in a while, which doesn't say a lot. Um, but we had a nice time and I think not only does he have a traditional background as far as his professional, um, experience goes for our particular audience, but his pivots and his ability to really use some of his charisma, passion for his cause and all of his contacts in the world in which he worked to really build a new brand and, and change, change the scope of our industry or the industry um, that Jamie and I touch the most, which is the fashion and creative world. I'm just kind of enamored by him and I'm sure that everyone else will be too. So um, thank you for indulging us, Rob, to two girls, you know, enjoying some 45 degree sunshine here in Jersey today. Um, happy to have you loving the tie dye and, you know, let's start from the beginning. Tell us who you are first. And then we go back, time travel. We hop into the DeLorean and we go back to the beginning. Cool. Um, so first of all, thanks for having me on this. This is this is exciting. It's a great way to spend an afternoon with the two of you. And it was love at first, like t- talk as soon as we connected. I remember like thinking, what did we just accomplish at the end? Like, I feel like we're going to tackle the world. <laughs> so let's start <laughs> here. Right. This is a good starting point. So my name is Rob Smith, Rob Garrett Smith. Um, Garrett's my middle name, which is an interesting story. Um, I'm reclaiming it um, in my name after losing it for a while. And um, gosh, my pronouns are he, him, his. And uh, other than being a husband and a son and a brother and uh, a mentor and a social um, 
activist and a human rights um, fighter for all rights, not just LGBTQ rights, but all, all human rights. I'm also the founder of The Fluid Project, which is a gender-free fashion brand and intersects with activism and community and education. Uh, and I'm also the founder of Get Fluid, which is gender expansive training and, and teaching companies, leaders, uh, how to prepare for a gender expansive and gender expressive workforce. That's what I'm doing with my time. I mean, do you have room for anything else on your plate or no? Well, I try to like, <laughs> try to squeeze in yoga and a workout every day and some meditation. But other than that though, you know, the, I quit all my board jobs, nonprofit board jobs. I sit on, also sit on the board of directors at Steve Madden. I, I oversee the Corporate Social Responsibility Committee. And, um, you know, I, I stepped off all of my nonprofit boards to focus on this. I also started my own, I forgot to mention the Fluid Foundation, which is a nonprofit where 100% of the proceeds go towards um, the most vulnerable of the queer community, specifically the trans community trans women of color and homeless LGBTQIA plus youth. So um, I started the Fluid Foundation as well. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't really know how we're supposed to follow that, right? So but by the way, that's, but that is, I mean, we're not sitting here listening our, listing our bios now, but it's very similar to us in a totally different world where we are, oh wait, and also, and then also we do, and then also we are, and that's kind of how exactly. Marissa and I always have been. Um, <laughs> well, that's why, oh, that's why we knew we were on the same clock. Yeah, she's like, oh, he's like, oh, I forgot to mention this like nonprofit I started, like, you know. But, also, I'm, but, but I'm off the boards now, I'm not on the boards. <laughs> also, um, so today we chose the word, you know, one of the, we have three pillars of our podcast, which a lot of our listeners already know. Um, one where we talk about, you know, what's your story, right? If you are in a traditional corporate environment, we tend to love to hear from those entrepreneurs, those folks that have just been working, working, working for years in their job. And what is their story? Because those folks don't typically get a ton of love in the podcast community. You hear a lot from entrepreneurs. You hear a lot from folks that quit their job and started something new. And so we started this podcast to interview people about just what's their story? How did they get to where they are? And what started to happen is we would be introduced to someone like Rob, who typically would be a what's your story, and actually left that life to start something new. And so we started a pillar. We actually struggled. We, we struggled. We debated. We've been back and forth. Well, maybe we don't interview those kinds of people because those people get the interviews. Those people love, you know, everyone loves the story of the corporate ladder. What made you leave all the things? And so we decided to launch something that we're calling, you know, that we call what's the word where we actually just, you know, kind of pick a word that we think embodies the guest and really how that word dictates and inspires your work. And so we chose humanity for you, Rob, because we think what you're doing is, I mean, there's so many words we could have chosen, um, but we really feel, first of all, we hadn't done humanity, no, I'm just kidding. We hadn't done humanity yet, um, but it is true. You know, your work is just overarchingly embodying this concept of humanity. So we will definitely come back to that and what it means to you and how it affects your day and your work um, and your mission. Um, but we like to start from the very beginning. It's something that we've always done on the Dreamcatchers, and it's probably our favorite question, um, which is, what did you want to be when you grew up? What is your first memory of something you wanted to be? Because we tend to feel your answer either 
is indicative or sometimes completely opposite yeah. from where you ended up. So we'd love to hear what did what's your first earliest memory of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Okay, again, it's just I, this is the funny. I, I mean, I don't know if you think it's funny, but um, I would go to church um, every Sunday. I was uh, raised Catholic, and we would after communion say a prayer, and I'd always start off with grandmas and grandpas, and mom and dad, and brothers and sisters, and and um, brother sister, and, and and then I'd always like do the cross and sit down, and it never failed. I always get back on my knees again, and I go, and one more thing, God, I, when I grow up, I really want to have my own talk show where I just like Merv, Merv Griffin, I get to interview famous people and get to sing on my on my talk show, and every and then I would do this, and every Sunday I would do it because that's all I ever wanted was to have my own talk show, interview famous people, and sing, and if people listen to my, to my beautiful singing voice. I love that. <laughs> You know, that's what you're doing. That's what the Fluid Project is. That's what you're doing now. Open um, mic night. <laughs> and I have the worst voice. And um, but the other thing, the other thing that I used to be very good at, um, and if I, I I was would sketch and I would design clothes for Barbies all the time. Like I would mm. sketch really sexy outfits and clothes for Barbie. Um, so I was that was my that was my backup job. Was that was your side hustle? It was my side hustle was designing really fabulous outfits for Barbie. So, you know, interestingly enough, and, and we always, Jamie actually is really, really good. Jamie has a, a lot of really hidden talents, uh, like a, a lot. And one of them is that she can repeat all of the lines almost word for word from the movie um, Big Fat Greek Wedding. Do you know, do you know the movie Big Freak Wedding? Okay. There's, a, there's a market for that. Yeah, there is a market for that. And that's not the she, only movie I can you know do that how, for. Yeah, no, but she can do like Mr. Portocalis, the apple, the orange, the fruit, like that famous line. So the reason why I mentioned that is because we find that when we ask this question, it's our Windex moment. Mm -hmm. Because truthfully, no matter what our guest says, we can correlate their innermost desire at a very young age to something that they're doing today or that they ended up doing, um, you know, and most people that have had a very interesting story will then find a way to honor their heart's interest somehow, whether life tricks them into it or by accident, et cetera, et cetera. So in your case, um, I don't think you've taken down Merv yet, but you might be able to, I mean, it's too soon to tell, you might be right on the moment. But I mean, having had an interest and or sketching the Barbie apparel, that mm -hmm. was probably fairly indicative to what you ended up doing later on ish. Correct. Sure. Uh, I would say, yes, I, I can actually answer it for you. I can and actually if, if I can go into this. Yeah. The, yeah. It's, um, so. You know, I was a very um, creative kid when I was young, drawing and sketching, and, and I did end up doing some community theater in middle school. And I, and I wasn't a great actor or singer or anything, but I really liked being around the arts and creative and playing with my sister, um, not playing sports, but I, but I was much more of a, um, how to say this, like sensitive um, boy and less less like the boy probably not that you know my parents don't love me but you know the 
the the more you know baseball playing football playing boy and and so I um wasn't this wasn't working really well for me so I decided to reinvent myself going to high school and I decided that I was going to play football I was going to you know act different let go of all of the arts let go of almost all the creativity mm. and manifested this guy and I, and I had this realization um, about fluid was this is creating this space is me making up to my younger self for what I left behind and creating the space of freedom and self-expression and authenticity and embracing all of the beautiful things that people are, regardless of what society expects us to be. So, you know, it is really beautifully well said because I do think there's something to there's something really authentic and honest about all of us saying like listen you know what you're doing in the world right now and obviously we're going to unpack that a bit is so incredibly important you're in you're embarking a journey you're normalizing you're in, encouraging people to 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 in, have language that they may not have had but you know what you just said is so interesting because even if you didn't even if you did identify with your own gender, right? Yeah. Take that off the table for a minute. Lots of us can relate. And obviously it's a totally different situation, obviously. And I would never compare. But we can relate and empathize because if you didn't feel like you belonged, if you didn't fit the bill for whatever that bill was, you did feel a draw to change growing up to change mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you wanted to be you know, the football player, I mean, almost, here's my second movie analogy. I don't know what's happening, but it's kind of what <laughs> happened um, to Sandy and Danny. I mean, traditionally in, 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 in Broadway, Broadway show too. was one of my favorite music, uh, movie musicals of all time. And you realize, you look back and you're like, girl, you don't need to change yourself for him. No. Like you're like, come Although on, to be Sandy. fair, he tried, he changed he himself try. a lot of times. But then as soon as anybody caught him, he was like, pretended he didn't. Yeah. But you're 100% right, Marissa. You know, I even think of how that correlates. And I think it's a generational thing. And I'm sure Rob has done a ton of research on this in his organization. But it is so interesting how our generation was so, you know, boxed. And if you weren't one thing, you couldn't be that thing. And that was, you know, I remember even thinking my own identity was defined. I grew up as a dancer performer and a cheerleader in high school. And when I lettered in cheerleading, I became a varsity cheerleader. I got, you know, my letter jacket and I also ran track and I got my letter in track. And I remember this like crazy conversation I had with my mom. I sat down, I'm like, which one do I put on the back of my jacket? Like, this is a big decision. Like, I mean, that's you real. this is real. And I, as a dancer, my entire life, a performer, my whole life, put track on the back, which is like so dumb. Like, why did I do that? And then I put cheerleading on the side. And I'm like, that's just, it was because I wanted to belong to this, like, you know, uh, I don't know, athletic environment. We were in a very competitive high school with athletics and I wanted to be part of that. And like, oh, by the way, I'm also a cheerleader. Like, that's so lame. Um, and I look back at that still. And it's so interesting because it is, you know, it is a generational gap, I think, for sure. And because I'm hoping that, you know, especially thanks to folks like Rob, um, generation, upcoming generations are hopefully not, not going to feel that same kind of experience. 
Well, and I think it's universal for everyone. You know, certainly my story is my story, yours is yours, but how many people who have curly hair try to straighten it? How many people have light skin kind of darken it? How many, we all try to, to change to be the way we think society thinks we're supposed to be, you know, and mm-hmm. we try to live up to those expectations and, and lose a piece of ourselves along the way as we do that. And I think that's, you know, like how do, you know, as parents or as leaders in, in a business, how do we try to, to take that away so people can be exactly who they are and we can celebrate exactly who they are? And who they are at that moment, what they and honor that person that they are. And and Robbie said, where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up uh, in a suburb of Detroit. Okay. So Mich- oh, that's right. I remember this. Whoopsie Daisy. I didn't need to touch that just yet. <laughs> um okay, so before blue, we baby. before we um move off of Facebook and just to our podcast, I wanted to ask you, what what was the first job you remember actually having? Well, the first so le- now you're now you're a football high school player. OK, well, the first, yeah. The first legit job I had um, other than like shoveling snow and, you know, stuff like that was I was 14 and my older brother like woke me up on Sunday morning. He said, hey, do you want to make some money? I said, sure. He said so. He worked. At, we worked at a, He worked at a movie theater. The one I was actually uh, acted in um, and it was called the Punch and Judy movie theater. And the, we played the Rocky Horror Picture Show every Saturday night. So Sunday morning, um, I got up and I got a leaf blower and shovels and I cleaned up after the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I did that job for four years. Um, but that was my first job. So you you cleaned up after people performed the Rocky Horror Picture Show or watched it? It, it was a midnight show, midnight show on Saturday night. And I would get up Sunday morning at seven and I would and clean up the mess. Yeah. And it was a disaster. It was a disaster. Is anyone, is anyone seeing this? Is anyone seeing the correlation here? Is anyone having the next moment? I'm getting, I'm getting all the dots. I'm connecting them all. I love it. (laughs) You are. It It really, it really is so indicative of where you landed, which I love. Um, And then before we cut to cut our Facebook feed, I want to just get in one more question up for our live. So that was your first real job. And then when you went to school at a school that I will not, name <laughs> you, at least it's not, it's not ohio state though um not the ohio, not that's, the ohio true. State. that's true but okay so you go to school and what did you major in like what what path did you end up going down then yeah um my well my major was like was marketing but i spent most of my time uh, in the fraternity system and this and the leadership system you know really it became the i the fraternity president of the interfraternity council. I was on, you know, senior class council. I was, I spent a lot of time really working. Becoming a leader. The leader as opposed to a student of marketing. So um, it was a great opportunity to really develop leadership skills. And I look at college as that, that that's, that's what my, my major was. Um, mm-hmm. Building leadership. And I still have those friends, you know, that I. What was it? Them. What was it called there? It was IFC? Marissa and I were both really involved in our Greek, our respective Greek systems too. And it's funny, I've never heard it put like that. When it's somebody asks me, which obviously I've been interviewed many times about what my major was, I never thought to think about, even though obviously I interview people for a living, 
um, I find it fascinating that you use that as your kind of major. I think it's so true, like having those leadership skills and our listeners, a lot of them are new grads or, you know, underclassmen. And I think that's a super inspiring thing to think about how your fraternity experience and what you did on campus actually, you know, later, you know, often, for example, I'll have conversations with people, they take their sorority off their resume and I'll say to them, that's actually something you should keep on. I don't care if you deactivated when you were a senior. I don't care if you weren't, you know, a, a board member, but it is a talking point. It also shows that you were invested in something at school besides your studies and besides the bar. And I think that that's a really important thing for our listeners to hear that that's a, it's a leadership skill. And it's something that you define as a leader in your industry as something that really, you know, prepared you for what you do now. Which for, the I think record, is awesome. sure. for the record, being a social chair was hard. It was hard. I was, it was hard. I was, I was, I was social chair. I was social chair. My friends drove me crazy. There were a lot of contracts I had to sign. It was weird. And you, intense. You, where do you think you were the social chair? Like just thinking like who you are now. Please. Um, of course I planned the party. I just wanted to go home at 11. Totally. <laughs> and I was, the, I was pledge mom, which is like very, very, very Jamie. Anywho. Okay. I have to you tell you a funny story rest- though. Like as I have yeah. seen president, I used to get the phone calls um, at the fraternity house from the chief of police from East Lansing. Mm-hmm. Because there were fraternities doing things that people were claiming as illegal, and, and I can't even tell uh-huh. you in detail what they were. But I mean, it was a lot to handle as a twenty-year-old kid to be able to dealing with, you know, the the police system, and and to dealing with, you know, teaching kids about drinking responsibly and holding seminars, and you know, it was I loved doing that stuff. Like I loved it. I hated going to statistics class, but I loved like the responsibility and all of the things they learned that way. By the way, there's no one that would like really, vibe attracts tribe. People like us, we didn't like statistics. No. Mm-hmm. I got carried mm-hmm. out of that final. Carried out. <laughs> um, still talk about right. it to this day. Okay, moving so, on. If you want to hear the rest of this amazing conversation with Rob, you're going to have to go to our um, podcast um, under, on Apple Podcasts. It'll be live, you know, in the next couple of days, probably tomorrow. And Christian, you can go ahead and cut our Facebook feed now. Thank you, Facebook Live. We'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Every day that we leave with light as the Dreamcatchers is made possible by our parent company, Partners in Crime, Choice Fashion and Media, Division of Choice Associates, where we've been putting people to work since 1974. So if you're looking for work or you're looking for people to work for you, check Mm -hmm. us out, www.choicepersonnelinc.com. So anywho, I know I'm like, my mom's definitely watching. She's in my driveway, by the way. That's my mom. Um, Marissa, she was creeping just so you know. Um, She's probably on her way to you. Anywho. Okay. So you went to school, you did all this leadership work. Did you have any internships? Like when did you start actually working and, you know, figuring out what you wanted to do long-term? Yeah. I mean, all I really wanted to do was to go work for Procter & Gamble because P&G came and recruited and, and they were really good about asking each of the leaders who, if they were to start a company, which 10 people they would choose. And, and they really zeroed in on um, the, the leaders in the, in the, in the university, um, which I thought was really smart, but, um, and then I got an accidental interview or a, a phone call from a company called Burdines. Um, yeah. Saying that yeah. They, do you remember Burdines? Yeah. Yep. That, that somebody canceled um, and they had an opening at three o'clock the next day. 
And, you know, back then, like you would just take any interview and I got on my bike and I remember riding my bike to the library and it was March and there was this much snow and I mm -hmm. found this book and I opened it up and Burdines was a department store in Florida. I thought, well, why not? And just chance to, you know, refine my interview skills. So I took the interview, really enjoyed it. And then they called me up, said, would you want to fly to New York for a second interview or fly to Miami for a second interview a few weeks later? And I thought, heck yeah, <laughs> going to Miami. And I went to Miami and and I loved it. I love the people. I love the idea. And I accepted the job um, offer on the spot. And what well, what was the first job? Was it a buying coordinator? Well, it was it was the University of Burdines training program. And then, yeah. then we went to stores and I went to Boca Raton Town Center and was the assistant department manager for Ladies Better Sportswear at Boca Raton Town Center. And um, then that began my retail career. And it was it was it was just, you know, I believe some things happen. And um, I never would have considered this as a career. And yet, you know, I think the universe, if you stop and listen, it tells you exactly where to go and what to do. And, and I heard it and I followed it. And it's been an incredible experience. Yeah. So is that how, so you were with Burdines probably that beginning bulk of your career and then for, were for you- For the first 10 years, yeah. 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 And then were you brought into- um the macy's group from that or was there something in between well a lot of people don't know that so then i moved to los angeles then i moved to san francisco um all all the time working um for federated department stores who acquired macy's people uh -huh. there was a merger actually federated acquired macy's and then i was promoted to new york and then federated macy's acquired may company and then so like my whole like career was merger after merger after merger until we were one Macy's. And then um, I was a, a great run of 22 years. I did really, really well, learned a lot. And then thought it was time to learn more. So I made a leap and I went to Victoria's Secret and I thought I would learn about vertical and also direct, you know, direct to consumer because I was in charge of all of um, all of non-intimate apparel. So basically, you know, everything you ever get a catalog, right? And the catalog yep. was that's that's what I was overseeing was the merchandising design and creation of the product that was in the catalogs but that was huge so when i first started <laughs> i first started i worked on um all i want i it's funny i just talked about this the other day but i all i ever wanted to do is work in beauty and um I, I couldn't get a job in beauty and i got a job in fashion because i already had an apartment in the city and my parents were like so what's the plan and i tried really hard i had four internships in beauty in school and it didn't work because i graduated in y2k and no one was hiring. So sure enough, I got a job as a sales assistant for G3 Apparel Group. No. And I was, yeah. And I didn't tell you this in our call, but my account, I was the sales assistant on the Victoria's Secret account. I didn't look at your timeline, but I definitely did a lot of those POs. Like, and then my boss was very hands off, which is why I grew so quickly. Um, and because I was, I had, I was able to put two plus two together and I understood the business. I climbed quick. Who was um, your boss at that time? Yes. At, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Um, my boss at that time was Maria Pesson. Okay. Um, she was tough as nails, but I'm, I'm mostly the way I am today because I worked for her first. Nice. Um, and then she was, I don't know if you remember, I mean, Jeanette, like all these old original crew. Yeah, like these original, and they were scary and sharp. Sandy. 
and Jonathan yep. and Mark. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The whole crew. And you know, a lot of them, by the way, a lot of people still work there. They all do. Yeah. A lot of them, they're lifers. Um, but you know, I, I was put in, I, I, I was put in catalog where the accounts they gave me first and catalog Jamie, um, was intense because you had all these different SKUs and we didn't really have e-commerce yet. Like e-commerce happened like a minute, a minute before I switched into handbags because I left coats and I went into handbags after that. But, um, I loved working on Victoria's Secret. Like I haven't thought about that in years. Loved it. Loved catalog. Loved how the how the assortments and the open to buy and all that stuff. I just loved it. And if I had stayed in the industry, I would have wanted to stay in merchandising because of what I learned from supplying catalog because I thought it was the coolest piece. You, you know, it's interesting because catalogs, the, the biggest online uh, re retailers at the beginning were the catalog retailers because they were able to convert. And that's why Victoria's Secret at the time was the largest um, online women's retailer at the time. More women's mm -hmm. apparel than any other any other big company, you know, which is interesting. Um, but you know that you know what you I learned at the time, amongst many things, is that it was less about the product, you know, because the product was king when it was in stores, but it became all about the the shot, you know. And mm -hmm. as the good as the shot was, was the original as influencers. Yeah. And totally. it was all about getting in the right model at the right shot. And it was a bestseller. And in those other days, you never thought about that other than price, you know, and, and floor placement. But um, it was really interesting. It became all about getting the right shot. And once you got it, it was, you know, it was money. So fun. That's a real blast. <laughs> So I don't have that. I don't have that in common with you. But the Marissa and I always joke that she all she wanted to do is work in beauty. All I wanted to do was work in music and entertainment. And I went to school for PR. And what I ended up getting a job doing was beauty PR for Procter and Gamble. So I worked at, on P and G brands for four and a half years before I switched to recruiting in HR, and worked solely on P and G brands. I was on CoverGirl, and then I was on Secret for many many years. Wow. And um, it's funny because she wanted beauty and I ended up doing beauty. Um, but I would not trade. I had a very tough boss at that time too. And I would not trade some of those experiences of working, even if it was in PR and I ended up switching to recruitment to knowing how to support such a large multi, you know, office, huge brand from like the age of 21, I was like just thrown right in. And I would, I ended up working a lot on Pfizer as well, which I'm proud to say nowadays, um, but at that time I was, you know, mostly PNG brands. So that's so funny that you said the PNG thing. I'm like, see, I don't have the fashion part, but I have that. Um, well, I love all of this. And obviously you guys could talk about all the people, you know, in common slash, you know, don't like or like in common <laughs> for hours. Um, so tell us, you know, we love to talk very much about, um, this is usually our favorite question besides what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, what we call our aha moments, right? So here you are senior level person in your career in fashion, you've worked your way up, you know, escaped and embraced many a merger. Um, what happened to you or, you know, around you um, to make you decide that you wanted to start something like what you're doing now at the Fluid Project? What was your light bulb? It was, you did a stint at Haddad Brothers too. I did. Oh, yeah, that's right. Almost five years as the chief product officer at Haddad Brands, yeah. I was, I oversaw um, like design and production for 
Levi's, let's see, Converse, Hurley, Nike, and Jordan, uh, kids and, and accessories and apparel. Yeah, so interesting. So I'm looking at the timeline now. And I, when I was doing the Victoria's Secret, it was for you. But um, uh, I would have probably serviced one of your, sometime or another, when you were still part of Federated, um, because that was when you were there. But um, still, and then Haddad, obviously, I switched into recruiting probably right before you left Victoria's Secret. Um, so I've been doing my piece of the business around the same time where you came from vertical and went to wholesale. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't actually, I've never really worked with a dad. I worked with other companies very similar to a dad. Um, and I know that we couldn't take from a dad for those reasons. Um, the Syrian relationship. Yeah. The Syrian yeah, relationship. On our do not, do not call list. <laughs> But I mean, if you were doing kids, I'm surprised I didn't run into you before because I have placed so many people and kids in footwear. I'm surprised we haven't run into each other before professionally. Yeah. Well, here we are. Oh, maybe and we here could. we are. <laughs> so now, so you, after spending, I mean, granted, interestingly enough, and I, I'm going to be direct here, you left your corporate fashion role. Really, when I intuitively felt, you know, the last, it's funny, I've said this out loud and I say this with love because I love what I do and I always have loved what I do and we're always going to wear clothes. And, you know, I love being able to express myself through apparel. And right now, if that's just all sweatpants, that's fine too. Um, but my point is the industry as a whole, it, it hurt. It hurt for the last, it was hurting for a while. And the last few years have been very challenging, even putting people to work um, in that field. And then, of course, the last year has been, I mean, there are no words for it. So I, I think it's very interesting when you segued. And I'm, I'm curious to, for, for you to share a little bit about that, like leaving your corporate stint behind, going out on your own, starting the brand. How did that all happen? Um, the timeline is, I'll start it off. Um... We're, I don't know if anybody's ever started at this place before, but for me, it was Burning Man. And I went to Burning Man. And if you, you know what Burning Man is or heard about it, um, mm -hmm. and it, you go and it's self, radical self-inclusion. Uh, it's self-expression. It's, it's humanity at its best of just taking care of people, gifting people. I don't know. There was a, something and there's also this self-expression, the fact that, you know, you, you know this idea of how quickly like somebody who was a heteronormative man who by day three was like we totally dressed the wrong way we have the wrong clothes but would you paint my nails you know that this freedom around gender expression you know sexual orientation you could be playful and curious and try things it to me it was like this perfect world in so many different ways and i mm. remember being just impacted by that and, and it came back to work and and, and there was a saying that somebody said, they said, don't quit your job after your first Burning Man. Mm -hmm. So um, I came back and I just remember listening to talking and I'm like, I just, this is not, I'm missing out on an opportunity to do more with my life. And I didn't know what it was, but I gave five months notice and I decided to um, go throw on a backpack and travel around the world to figure out what was next for me. And I, and I, I would buy one way tickets to each of my destinations. And I knew that the answer was out there and I just had to go find it. So I honestly thought I was going to go into politics, but um, in a shamanic ceremony in the Amazon, 
I went in and you go in with an intention. And I said, um, I said to myself, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I was there for, for three weeks. And, and in the morning, I wrote down in my journal, consider opening a gender-free non-binary shopping environment. I wrote fluid in quotation marks. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I opened 10 months later. So that's, I mean, it came straight from the guts. It's, it's, by it's, the way, it's, it literally, it comes straight, by the way, when you get messaging like that, it's straight from the guts. It's yeah, it really, you know what, Marissa and I, Marissa and I have a similar storyline there where we knew we wanted to do more with our background in recruitment and HR. We knew that we were meant to do more coaching and motivating. And we went on a yoga retreat to Tulum mm. and had a similar experience while there. And that is where the Dreamcatchers was born because we were sleeping in beds with Dreamcatchers above our beds. And we knew we wanted to start a podcast and people that we had, you know, started to circle ourselves with kept telling us that this is our journey and this was meant to be for us. We just didn't know how to do it. And at that time, didn't really even know anything about podcasting. And that's where it was born, was in a similar experience to you um, on a yoga retreat in Tulum. So not the Amazon, but pretty, pretty damn close. And okay, so you have this aha moment, which we can literally like like that might be the most we've we've interviewed 48 people that might be the largest aha yeah Yeah. it's a significant aha go to burning man go to burning man give five months months notice go to the amazon and have an aha moment that is a amazing amazing example so when you got back you know i just need to say something for our younger audience he worked for a long time and had the Before flexibility, freedom, and finances to support these decisions. Correct. That's true. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's true. It's true. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, like young people hear that story, you know, and, and I mean, the fact is I did work 30 years. I did uh, like save money. <laughs> I did have um, a supportive husband, which was really helpful, you know, who supported this journey. Um, but I guess, you know, one that I mean, this is my third. I took three sabbaticals in my life, and this one was the best one. But there are times, if you can, if you if you can get away and even be comfortable by yourself, four, four times actually did it in college too. You learn a lot about yourself, um, and you learn a lot about how you fit into the world and about the world when you travel like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't discourage young people from doing it, but also at my point in my life, I had. Um, saved enough money and um, but also had enough responsibilities to bring me back home eventually but there is um, something liberating about just just going just being free I, I, I 100% agree yeah a lot of I, people are I, I've, I've never been more trapped in my life look I'm inside a box <laughs> <laughs> what I wouldn't do right now to be able to get in a plane and go or the one-way ticket to India right now or or Thailand or Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. But here we I are. I hear that. Here I hear are. that. There will be here days. There, those days are ahead again, for sure. I think so. Oh, when you started, me. I like I like how you tell the story. Um, this part I did know. Um, I like how you started the the, the store, the retail store. Um, and then you know, unfortunately, that was a powerful moment and and a, a part of the the beginnings of your brands, but now no longer exists, correct? Well, you know, it's interesting. The store was, I mean, who was running to open up a store like three years ago? <laughs> like nobody was like, 
you know, you kind of already started to see like the slowing down of, of brick and mortar, but I wanted to create more than a store. I wanted to um, take a, a, a concept, an abstract idea and make it physical, you know? So what is this idea of gender free? Like it's to everybody, it's different, but I wanted people to be able to walk in and experience it. And I wanted, um, I wanted to push the boundaries of what, you know, gender expression was and gender identity was. I wanted to create a really safe space. And, I, and it was more than a store. It was two thirds retail space. And a third of it was non-retail space, which was like bleacher seating and a coffee shop and a place to host events. And, and in two years, we had over 250 events um, in the space. And it became mm. like a, a hub. It became a destination. It also became an opportunity for me to build relationships with young people, to learn from them, you know, to sit there and hear stories of what it is to be, you know, gender nonconforming, to be transgender, and to um, use that, all of that, to be able to help the community, you know, and use my knowledge, my experience, and, and my access to um, create space for other people. So it, it was the launching pad for that. It was hard to close the store because it was such a wonderful space, but it's I mean the brands have been able to pivot and do um, some pretty amazing things. I mean, you're awesome. doing a lot of wholesale, yes, and you're designing still. So yeah, so um, the year has been interesting. So 2020, just you know, it was it was going to be all about pop-ups. I really I closed the store and I wanted to travel all around the world and do pop-ups and take the experience of fluid and take it. You know, the first one was going to be in Tokyo in May. And then I was going to do one in Los Angeles and then San Francisco. And I really wanted to get the South and I was planning all these pop-ups and that shifted. And I thought, okay, so pivot, <laughs> you know, like it's what every entrepreneur mm -hmm. does. So pivoted to um, wholesale and um, have like now the products in, you know, will be and is in, in dozens of retailers um, from Target to Bloomingdale's, you know, and um, it's, you know, and then, it's fun to call on all your past people, right? Yeah, exactly. Lever leveraging, creating special product. And um, everyone's like uh, special. You know what SMU is. Everyone's yep. SMU. Like creating yep. something special for every retailer. And launched um, the fragrance collection at Sephora in November, which is very exciting. So a unisex fragrance, right? Or all, CK1. no, a unisex, it would be, that would be, that would Remember be the opposite. CK. Right, Remember unisex is not the right word. It would not, not the right word. word. This, is, this is a great opportunity for a lesson. You ready? Right. I'd love a so. lesson. By the way, <laughs> when it was well, no, hold on, hold on. Before hold you're on. schooling me, I I purely meant remember when that came CK1. out. CK one CK one was unisex. That's what they called it. It. I love CK one. By the way, I always loved cologne smelling um, perfumes. And I wore it proudly, but at that time it was called unisex. So here we go. Give me a lesson. I want to know. Well, well, sex is, so sex is your, how you're born. You're, you're sex assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. So I take sex out of it because it's not about sex. It's about gender and gender is how you identify. And so right. the words that go along with that are, are gender less, you know, which is often used gender neutral, which is used most often. But mm -hmm. I like gender free because gender free is more self-expressive. And so that's where I landed on gender free because it feels like free of all gender. Free limits, of all things. Know, yeah. Yep. And free of the constructs around gender. So gender free is almost is like the 2021 word 
to undo the word to undo unisense. Yeah. To undo, mm. undo this idea of what it is to be female or male. And, uh, the idea of when you think about it, uh, even just take sense, what, it, what is a feminine scent to you or female scent? And what is a masculine scent or male scent? And you think about feminine is florals um, and soft fruity stuff. And, and a male scent is woodsy or leathery or oaky, you know, and that's, and, and even the, the way the presentation of fragrances over-sexualized as well. You know, in mm -hmm. cases, it's just, you know, it's so I created something that was much more inclusive. It has mi mixes of both traditional, you know, feminine and masculine notes and then blended together. And um, I'm just I'm going to have fun with you because I'm going to show you my favorite one right now. You're going to kick out of it. So this is humanity. Oh, that. <laughs> By the way, the universe, we did not know this about you. Yeah. This Hashtag on brand. Wait, this isn't on air, right? So you have to say it. He's holding up a bottle of his favorite fluid fragrance and it's called Humanity, which we- By the way, it's a gorgeous bottle. It is. Yeah, beautiful bottle. So Packaging cool. is on um, point. I'll show you how they look, but the, they're oil and water-based. And then when you shake it up, it's like a, a kind of a lava lamp. Oh, and that's fun. And then the, what's cool about them is you spray it on your skin and the oil softens and moisturizes your skin. And they each smell really good. There's five of them. And they're named with all of our values, intention, balance, integrity. Yeah. Humanity. Humanity. I can't, so by the way, a really good, that's a really good segue. You know, obviously, you know, like you just said, you have these different values of the company, which, you know, we happen to choose one for you today. So I'd love to hear from you kind of what this word of humanity means to you and your work and what you're doing at, at the Fluid Project. Yeah, it's such a great word. I'm glad you selected it because it is about humanity. And one, I like the word humanity because it it makes it about a human race, you know, and, you know, it doesn't make it about the sexes, you know, it's just we're, we're a human Humans. race. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think humanity is about um, kind of what I experienced at Burning Man, kind of what you experienced when you walked in the fluid store. It's about just being good to each other. It's about um, seeing people where they are and respecting them and honoring them and and giving them the space to be themselves and, mm -hmm. and not trying to um enforce your ideas onto them and just letting people be who they are and and loving and accepting without condition you know that's what humanity is to me i has love this, that and has this you? journey is this i'm sorry i just need to ask a question has this journey been challenging for you? Like, you're, do you feel not only were you breaking molds around you, because not for nothing, you worked in a creative field, but it was certainly not accepting. I mean, that's where I'm sure you picked up a lot of what you wanted to fix. Well, I'll tell you where the, the, the struggle was. Um, and to be honest, like it was dark, dark times. I mean, the store was incredibly un, unprofitable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was hemorrhaging tens of thousands of dollars a month and, and no, really only, I own 99% of the business. I had very few people invest in the business, a few, you know, friends and family up to like a uh, hundred, no, no, up to a hundred thousand dollars. But the amount of money that I put into it was, was significant. I, I essentially was struggling to make payments and 
building debt. And, and there are times when I wondered if this is really how I'm supposed to spend my last, you know, 10 years of my professional life in, in deep, uh, deep debt. And, but I pushed through it and um, all of these other things coming to me are a result of, I think of um, people appreciating the fact that a company can be built on values, can be mm -hmm. built on inclusion. And it's coming into its moment now where people are starting to value that more. And so the hard- 100% agree. And I, I think that's what Merce and I are trying to do too. You know, our mission statement on our website is that we are an inclusive networking community. I think we ourselves, and you know, even if we were to seek out a professional network community for ourselves, or a podcast we wanted to listen to. It was very segmented. It's very, are you a mom that's an entrepreneur? Are you an entrepreneur that used to work in corporate? Are you a babe in business in New Jersey? Are you, and what we wanted to create for ourselves was an opportunity to network with, it doesn't, doesn't matter who you are or where you work. It's not I, to say that having a niche is not great. Having a niche is great. Yeah, that's what you want. Course. But, but that's but, just not what we wanted. No. We wanted to be able to, you know, Marissa never really worked in a traditional corporate environment in many years. I did. It was like the clubs at my, I worked at Turner Broadcasting for many years after I left my PR agency behind. And we had all these awesome, you know, professional networking groups, clubs within the company. And I wanted to, Marissa and I both, we wanted to create something that felt like that for like everyone out there that may not work at a company that has clubs or may not work, you know, somewhere that they can network with others that are their age, their anything, their interest levels. Um, and that's what we're trying to create is really an inclusive community. So and also there's a lot of there's a lot of space. This is funny. There's a lot of space that has been created for tremendously powerful professional women. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm on the other side now where it's like, well, what about the guys? Like, I can't let them in. They don't want to let them in. Everyone's welcome. You know, like whoever your, whatever your background is. And, and to your point, what about every, like, what about people that don't identify that way? You know, right. there are all these female societies, right? And what if that, what, they're just, it's funny how being, for the last decade, being inclusive actually was exclusive. You're right. When you be, when you're othered, right? When you, when you are not in, you know, the patriarchy and you're not um, the white heteronormative man making the decisions, right? Everybody feels like they, that person, that group of people has 90% of the pie. Then there's only 10% left for everybody else. And then we create our subgroups and we create relationships and try to push through and, and make space for ourselves. Um, whether you're queer or you're black or you're, or you're brown or you're the indigenous, you know, there, there are so many different groups of people that you're know, fighting for representation and visibility. And in that process, we become very tribal and, and, and organized. And I don't think we would make progress if we didn't do that, you know, that there's, there's a time and a place for everything. And, and, you know, um, but also, you know, during the women's liberation, um, they didn't, they didn't let lesbians in, you know, part as part of the women's liberation, there's a certain part where, the, the um, suffrage didn't include black women, you know, and it was only mm -hmm. white women but that we, we just keep getting better and better. And I don't think we can hang on to things forever, that there's a time to adapt and evolve and to 
you know, include other people into the groups um, without losing your power and your and your purpose and your mission. And so now you're in addition to you now, obviously, we talked about the, the the store and the money and the timing of all of it. You're, you find yourself teaching now. You're educating. Yes. Yeah. And, I, you know, one of the things we had um, um, a social code uh, fluid. Um, and one of there were there were ten social codes when you showed up in this space and how we act people to ask people to behave, and one of my favorite social codes was we're all students and we're all teachers and I, I thought about that during this time as I'm you know listening to panel conversations and and I really started to really learn a lot about young people about this um, idea that you know about the binary and 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 creating space for all people to be curious and, and, and authentic. And I started to get invited to speak at, you know, in this like um, conferences around the world. I remember even flying to Dubai and speaking about this in Sao Paulo. And, and then I started like creating something where I started speaking to senior leadership teams at companies to introduce them. And I was like, how I take all this knowledge that I've learned and, and open it up to corporate America. And people were really interested. And, then I decided to formalize it and, and call it Get Fluid, which is gender expansive training. And it's um, for corporations from small to incredibly large international organizations that are now looking at this um, emerging workforce and customer base who identifies as neither strictly male or female, or they identify as transgender, but there is all the things that come along with it. Like how do you learn how to use pronouns correctly? How do you ensure that you know, your job applications have a third gender marker? How do you ensure that language is rewritten to be more inclusive um, as opposed to just binary male, female? And then how do you start to like address code policies to re rewrite those to be more inclusive for gender expressive folks? And all of these things that um, we, we just kind of take for granted, but there's a change happening. Uh, and I like to say that the change, this change is good for all of us. It isn't just for a small group of people it actually opens up space for all of us to, you know, be be the people who we are without somebody making rules for us of what we can can and can't do. It's so fascinating everything you're saying because you really don't even, you know, I was at the time when I was at Turner, we I was responsible for the job applications when somebody would come in. And I'm thinking about our check boxes and things that you just said are so you don't even think about those things until you need to think about those things. And it's so amazing to hear you say that. I mean, my husband and I were just recently talking about this because something like, you know, we were raised in a generation where you said, where's the ladies room? Yeah. It's just yeah. like part of your vernacular. Where's the men's room? Um, it's so fascinating because I, I'm not, I, I don't even know. I don't even know why I use the word ladies room. Like that doesn't like, it just like comes out. I'm like, um, and now I'm like so much more conscious of it. I'm like, where's the restroom? Like, well, you realize what I realize is everything is binary. I would go to a trade show. It's the men's section. Everything. You go to the restroom, you go everywhere you go. It's very binary yet, yet in your own home, it's not that way in your own home. It's a very inclusive space. And yet when we go into totally, it becomes very everything binary. is separated 100% agree and in fact so my husband worked for Nickelodeon for nine years in consumer products and toys and he's very passionate about this um he was part of the team that helped to define or debunk 
you know, Target and Walmart's aisles from saying boys toys and girls toys, because just because you're a boy doesn't mean you need to play with a football. And when he started at Nickelodeon, his title, we laughed about it, was senior director of boys toys. But what, what the hell is a boys toy? And also it's a little bit phallic. <laughs> We're like, what is a boys toy? Um, and over the course of his time at Nickelodeon, Viacom overall went through a big overhaul and they changed his title to toys. You know, it's no, one, it's no one's fault though. It's just it's because just, of years of ingrained behavior. You know, if you really think about it, there's always been in literature, art history, um, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, the Iliad, the Odyssey, there was always reference to um, fluidity. Um, Maybe not so much gender, but at least sexually, for sure. Um, But I do think some gender, um, even with astrology, there's reference to gender. I mean, you know, simply down to having body parts that belong to different things, whether it was like an animal or, you know. Every every civilization pre-colonization, Western colonization had, you know, some sort of fluidity, whether it was your right to sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, I, I, the parent company for the Fluid Project and Get Fluid is Two Spirit LLC. And Two Spirit, because I'm part indigenous, is, was the, is the third gender in indigenous culture. And it is somebody who was born with equal amounts of male and female um, power, you know, maybe we call them transgender in language today or gender non-binary, but they were the most revered in their tribes. They be, often became the shamans because they had this superpower of being both male and female. And they were seen as these superior, like, like. That's why they, that's why they, that's why they called you out in the Amazon. <laughs> They found you in the Amazon. They saw you, they recognized your light, and they said, here you go. This is how you're going to modernize this day's society. Um, So true. Go back to toy. So since, you know, your your husband working at Nickelodeon, like Mattel has gone through and de-gendered their, um, Mm -hmm. and Target has de-gendered their aisles. Now it's done by Mm -hmm. category. And it's so nice to see progress happening, albeit slower than we want. But I want to share something really interesting with you and, and your listeners. Um, I was reached out by a, the California State Assembly a few weeks ago, and there was a, a girl who works for us, assembly person, and um, she went to, she was studying, she's eight years old and studying dinosaurs, and she wanted to go get a dinosaur t-shirt. So she, her mom went to the store to find a dinosaur t-shirt and none of the girl section. And she goes, mom, I bet they're in the boy section. So sure enough, she went to the boy section Mm-hmm. And there were three dinosaur t-shirts. And so she wanted to create legislation that said that any, any retailer that has more than 500 employees has to take down the word girls and boys from the kids department because kids shouldn't be limited to these sections. And so it's been, it's, I'm co-signing it. At the, she, she told her mom she needed to reach out to the Fluid Project to help co-sign this and it's going to go on Governor Newsom's desk um, in a few weeks and maybe sign it. I love that. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's re- I mean, that how is does she amazing. even? By the way, I have an eight-year-old. She's on Roblox. How would she have even yeah. known that? You know what, though? It's interesting what they do notice. You know, my, my son is five and loves, he's very equal opportunity, as we like to say about him. And 
he loved, he's a little over it now, but he was obsessed with this Disney movie called The Descendants, which is, by the way, genius in concept. It is about all of the um, sons and daughters of the princesses and princes that we knew as kids and what they are now, their descendants, and they have created this world around them. And he wanted that to be his birthday theme for his fifth birthday in December. And every plate and every balloon was pink and purple. And he loves pink and purple, but he is at an age where he's five and he notices the difference. Girl, boy, I want to, you know, I don't want that balloon color because it's purple, right? So Dave, my husband, will talk to my kids often about this where, and I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on this, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it a learned behavior that, or is it an eight? this, you know, concept and you realize, you know, until the targets of the world completely upend the way that they define what's for boys and what's for girls, that's what these kids gravitate to. And so that's why he's super passionate in the, in the toy space to, and he was on the team when that happened at the target aisle on the toy aisle is like, who cares if it's purple? Like if you want it and you want the balloon, get it. So PS's birthday party was part descendants, part superheroes. So we had a purple balloon and then we had a Batman balloon. And he was like happy as a clam, both very equal opportunity, very well represented. But he had to get the boy balloon from a different aisle, which is just wild if you actually really think about it. It's pretty insane. It's pretty insane. Um, it's, it's, and he knows the difference and he's five years old. And he's like, why aren't there any boy descendants things? I'm like, what does that even mean to be a boy descendant thing? Um, I'm like, if you like the descendants, get the balloon. And that's where we landed. Honestly, if we spend more time listening to kids, we'd be, be better off and, and acting, you know, because they see things without, um, without all the BS that's been dumped on us, you know? It's so and, true. And, and I, I always like to say, like, we're always unlearning and relearning, you know, it's a constant state of unlearning and relearning. And I think that kids, whether it's today or 50 years ago, but they would, if before, being indoctrinated into society and society's beliefs, you know, that they, they can see things so clearly and, mm. and, and see and be so, and so, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Accepting. Accepting. So accepting. accepting. Yeah. There's no judgment. They're, they're, blind. Just, they're blind to it completely. It's just, yeah. they speak from their heart, they which do. we unfortunately then raise them just to, to quiet. Right. Mm -hmm. To some degree. Um, really let me ask you this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you this, Rob. So if you were to give, you're, you're sitting there, you have this big corporate background, you have this, uh, this incredible perspective on life from a personal and professional um, journey. journey. If you're going to turn to a small business, mm -hmm. you're going to turn to even many of your peers that just don't have the comfort level, the exposure, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't want to be knowledgeable the way you are now. They just have not been privy, exposed, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a place to look? What would you suggest? What's your top tip of like how to get schooled? Like how do you learn how to unlearn? You know, I know in our little community, um, you know, we have our bathrooms, our children's bathrooms in the school are no longer um, 
sexualized. They're gender neutral bathrooms. Um, I, I do believe, no, I, I think you can still, you, there are options for gender neutral bathroom and everyone can go in them. And it's funny, if you remember, um, you've got me by a little bit, but I remember when it became a trend in the city, like the restaurants didn't have separate bathrooms anymore. And yeah. like you'd come out of the bathroom and then like you wash hands like, together yeah, yeah. and you'd be like, there's, like, there's a man in here. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's like what's happening? Um, like, <laughs> how, what, what would you impart? Like, if you said, okay, here guys, here's chapter one. What would you, what would you instruct someone to, to be enlightened by the work that you've done? How, what would they learn? How could they look? Is there something that you read? Is there something that you watch well, that I you mean, feel it, is if, very current, you, common, and layman? You know, if you go to the Fluid um, website, the Fluid Project website, Fluid yep. spelled with a PH, which stands for balance, um, one of the values. That's why it's spelled with PH, but the Fluid Project. Um, there's a mm -hmm. lot of resources and conversations and panels and interviews um, on in that in the website. The website's not meant to be just like the store, a transactional place. It's meant to be a place that you can go information and, and learn and and find information. So there's a lot of really interesting and great um, resources there. There's actually a resource section that's one of our most visited um, parts. If you're you know uh, for transgender, gender nonconforming. Um, um, if you're, you know, worried about, you know, um, the mental health and if you're a bad situation, there's resources, that's all there. And so what I want to do is create a place that you can go and, and find, find and learn it all. Solutions. Yeah. Can you talk a, a bit about the resistance that you have found or that you might hear about or see from the generations above us? So for example, you know, Marissa and I, very obviously dissimilar to this conversation, but not not completely in that, you know, we work for our dad and we have for a lot of our years at this point, and he is a traditional old school guy. And we found challenge with him with working from home, for example, and being a working mom, which is a totally different yet similar marginalized group. Yes. Um, and we have found, so I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about that prior to COVID and now, because I do find that COVID has helped to break down all those traditional barriers where my dad now like totally gets it. Like he said in his like roundabout way now a few times, like I get it now, like you actually can be productive from home. Like I have a laptop now too, you know, like I'm like, dad, like get with it. But I do think it's interesting, obviously, that generation is aging out of corporate settings and, and, and senior level roles now. But I do, I'd love to hear a little bit about that resistance and what you can do if you're a listener out there that works for a company that thinks their company could benefit from this type of training or, and how to get around that. And also, if you've seen that change at all through COVID. Um, I would say through COVID, starting with Black Lives Matter. You know, that all of a sudden people felt um, or, or there was a accountability, you know, for um, especially people who don't identify as BIPOC to start to understand and learn about the Black experience in this country, um, in the world, to learn about, you know, to watch the movie 13, to watch, you know, I'm Not Your Negro by uh, James Baldwin, to like, you know, really learn 
and then start to go and ask questions. You know, um, okay. I think we really felt like, and and that has bled into um, the fluid project. And now people are like, what's next? You know, and then mm-hmm. it feels like this gender expansive community is what's next. You know, in 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 a, in a way that, like, you know, people really struggle with pronouns. They're having a, you know, the older generation is really having a hard time with they them theirs as a singular pronoun. And yet, mm-hmm. we time, you know, where's Jamie? Well, they just ran to, uh, uh, even if, if I didn't know Jamie was, was a male or female or boy or girl, or, you know, I was, I would just say, well, when they get back, tell them that, you know, I really need to see them because, you know, you, we use it all the time and it's much sure. more than we think we do. And yet people get so stuck on it and they have such a hard time with it and they resist it. And mm-hmm. they, wish, they wish that, you know, this young group of people chose different words for pronouns. <laughs> I always tell them, sure. like, why should anyone have to adapt to you and your obstinance? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is our, this is where we have to, as we always do. And there's a younger generation coming in with a new set of rules and new language. It's our responsibility to learn and to adapt to them, not for them to adapt to us. Because for that, it's never going to happen. And so once you get pushed through that, um, I, th- I just think that it's time for um, lots of change. I think it's time for anything that's considered feminine that has been in, in a corporate situation seen as a negative. You know, women have had to go into corporate America with their feminine strength and their compassion and their empathy and their nurturing. And all of that, whether I had it or you have it, it has to be left behind because there's mm-hmm. room for that in corporate America. What there's room for is, is competitiveness you know, um, you know, drive. And, and yet, you know, you're not allowed to cry at work. You know, there's no crying at work. Well, why, <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be, would it be nice if somebody started to cry and said, what's going on? Like, you seem pretty upset. You know, like, I am upset because whatever, you know, and I think what has happened during COVID is you're invited to my house. I'm invited to your house. We, we, we are now seeing parents holding, you know, kids. We're seeing, like people walking past you, like to the kitchen, your partner, and like they're. You know. <laughs> you know what's happened? Humanity. <laughs> we're witnessing humanity on screen. We're witnessing humanity, and we're really becoming much. Mm-hmm. All the yeah. things we couldn't and wouldn't do before now are going away, and I think we're now humans that are showing up to each other, and I, and I don't think that's going to go away once we start interacting with people again. That this humanity, this. I mean, talking to people on Zoom calls in bathrooms because it's the only quiet place they can get. You know, it's just, we're just, we have all just like let our guards down and we're just, we're more humane. We're, we're more human. We it's have to really be. It, I, what, I couldn't agree with you more. Marissa and I are like completely turned on by that conversation. We talk about it with all of our guests and all of our candidates and clients now of how level the playing field can be now. And how amazing and inspirational that could be to a new graduate or a job seeker or a job shifter, that they can feel like they could bring their whole self to work, that they could reach out to almost anyone for a coffee or a virtual, you know, conversation now where that never felt doable to anyone before. It never felt real. And now we actually can, you know, I mean, even to like, you know, the 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 famous people doing things like you know that you can like look at somebody that like d nice do his whole bit at home and you're like logged in and or you're doing like jimmy fallon's at home and in his like living room doing his show and like if somebody that famous and that visible can be just like everyone else stars are just like us 
they're just like us, you know, they're just human beings that are, that happen to have a really visible, important job or not. It's really cool too, because when we get on a zoom call, there's used to have like the table and who sat at which seat, you know, to show the Mm -hmm. the hierarchy of who sat where, you know, there's no bigger Mm -hmm. box than another one because of your title. You know, it's, we're all um, democratized in this new platform. And I love it. Anybody who's in there has got the same, same size screen as somebody is the person with the highest title. I love that. Rob, were you always this profound or was it all burning man? (laughs) (laughs) I, I, um, I, I think I've, because I'm an entrepreneur now, I'm able to articulate the things that I couldn't do before in a corporate environment. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm able to put myself out there. I don't have any, anyone. I woke up this morning and my first thought was, I have no boss today. <laughs> like it was my yeah. first thought was like, I don't yeah. know anyone to report to. Like I am going to, you know, I just think about my day and, and it's it's an incredible feeling to think that I'm not accountable to anybody but myself. To you. I yeah. Whatever I want and to whoever I want. And the only person I'm accountable to is myself. And we feel the same except we're accountable to each other. So there are days where I'm like, Marissa needs that from me. And so nice. but we're one and the same. We're two halves of a whole. Um so tell us, you know, our favorite final questions are, I mean, we could talk to you for hours, but our favorite final questions are, um, which it sounds like you are a, a, a perfect candidate for these questions because you, you seem to be a universe believer like we are. Um, do you have a mantra? Um, do you have anything that you say to yourself, you know, every morning or every night? Um, with that, if not a mantra, you know, do you do you have action words, which it sounds like you do with your the missions of your company, or do you believe that you have a superpower? These are all integrated questions, but you know, and they can be answered separately or together. Um, but we love to hear our guests, their mantras, their superpowers, their action words, their intention words. We are big believers in that ourselves. We have all sorts of isms. They're on the backs of our business cards. Um, so tell us a little bit about yours, the things that you say to yourself or your intentions that you set. That's such a great question. Um, so, uh, actually, one of uh, one of our senses intention, mm. and it's a it's a great one. Sometimes, I, before I go into a call, I spray it because I really want to be intentional in a conversation. But um, I start my day and, and I meditate. And one of the things I've learned is if you've ever heard of Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, um, that we start off as, and if you think about Frodo or Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter and they start off and and then they they go into this um journey right and they end up in a fight in a battle you know and they battle and then they end up like overcoming winning and overcoming then they end up back where they were and Mm -hmm. what this reflects in our own human selves is we have from the time we were four or five there's a belief that something traumatic has happened to us Mm-hmm. We respond in a certain way, and then we start to create stories about ourselves. You know, yes, about these stories, and, and these stories um, become bigger than who we really are. And the goal is to try to take these stories away. Not that they don't exist, but they're not who you are. And then when I you get down to it, it's the I am's. Like I am not these stories. I am not. I am love. I am forgiveness. I am accepting. I am generous. 
And those are the things we are, not the stories. And so I start off my day with the I am's and I try to use that as a foundation for how I work through my day. And then, um, and then I do, I have, there's a book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I don't know if you've ever read it, but they are, um, I put them on my arm right here, tattooed. So, um, so, you, can't, so you don't forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't forget. But they're always do your best. Your best is different every day. Just do your best. Um, don't take anything personally. Like someone else's stuff is not your stuff. Don't take it personally. And that's really hard, but it's you know, practice it as much as I can. Don't make assumptions. So be honest and communicative and don't assume somebody is thinking what you're thinking. It stops a lot of fights when you're when you communicate and don't make assume that somebody thinks something else. And um, be impeccable with your word and use your word for good. Um, use your word assuming that what is it like the example that it could be put in a billboard uh, uh, off the 495 and you would not be embarrassed by it. So use your word with honesty and integrity. And those, those, that's how I start my day with the IMs and the four agreements. Mm-hmm. I love that. And now I love, I love to just go back to this because you talked about it before a bit, you said the word superpower with, you know, obviously we're very in tune with each other and you use that word without knowing that's one of our major, not that you didn't peek at the questions, but it's probably one of our favorite things that we talk about with our guests and also our candidates that we, when we work on resumes, you know, we talk about who are, like, who are you? Like, what is your superpower? What do you bring that everybody else that I'm interviewing today does not? Um, so much to say that we, we, we also talk about this with folks. Cause we say, you know, what is, who are you in your group of friends? Like, if you can't figure out what you want to do, like, who are you? Are you the one we talked about this? Marissa and I did a presentation to eighth graders this week, which is a tough audience, by the way, um, and trying to figure out that, you know, the fundamental beginnings of a resume and who they are and what they like to be doing. And, you know, there's the person that makes the plan to go to lunch. There's the person that takes the photo and posts it and tags everyone. There's the person that pays the bill. And those people and what they end up kind of becoming in their crew sometimes can feel indicative to the type of job that they might be good at in 15 years. So, and it really is kind of that innate superpower. Like, who are you? Are you the connector? Are you the organizer? Um, So do you think that you have a superpower that you bring to work every day or to your, you know, professional or personal relationships? Um, I would say I'm the empathetic one. I'm the one that anyone can call up and be honest with and, and know that I won't judge, you know, mm-hmm. that, um, I probably, you know, sometimes my team thinks some people take advantage of that because, you know, people are having a bad day. I'm like, well, don't come in. <laughs> you know, honestly, like mm-hmm. if you're not feeling like, like it, like, you know, don't show up or if you need, you know, I am incredible. People will call up and tell me that, you know, friends and they, um, they know that I won't judge them. You know, they know that I will have empathy and understand to try to understand the the root of the situation as opposed to on the surface of what it is, what the reaction has been. So that's, I think that's, I don't know if it's a superpower, but it's. It definitely is. It doesn't come naturally to some people, yeah. especially as a leader. It's a really important skill to have. So good for you. Okay. Marissa, do you have any other questions for Rob besides our last one? here questions? this entire time trying to figure out if I can guess his birthday. Mm-hmm. She loves this. <laughs> I would be. Well, Don't be wrong. It's 
he reminds me of somebody very much. So it's like, I don't know, a birthday is like specific. Like that's 365 days. Like if I get one out of 365, that's well, you can just guess the sign that'd be impressive. Yeah, no, she does this very well. I do the do sign. the signs, but but I I I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not confident. And I'm going to tell you why. So so I'll tell you. Do you do you like astrology? I understand. I appreciate it. Yes. Me too. I mean, like like is like it's not like a necessarily just like I no, appreciate it. Appreciate, appreciate it. it's a good, good way of saying it, adverb. Um, so you know, it's interesting. I was always so sensitive in my life. I was very sensitive growing up, very I am em- empathetic as well, but I would take on other people's feelings. I'm I'm a, an empath actually that I've worked my whole life to utilize um for good rather than suffer it suffer from it. So I, unbeknownst to me, would have coping mechanisms and like finding out when someone's birthday is so that I would know if I needed to have my armor up a tiny bit. Mm. Um, and that was how I would deduce, not to say that I should be putting people into boxes as we just had an entire conversation about how we should be breaking molds, but you know, people are people, regardless of their gender and sexual identity, they sometimes can be a little tough for me, regardless mm-hmm. of who they are. Right. Mm-hmm. So I fell for the um, appreciation of astrology. And there's, I would say you would read to me as a Taurus first, because although you're emotional, um, you feel pretty level, like pretty grounded. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I want to say that you're water because you just feel water when I'm not doing the tourist part. And then there's this other thing that happens when I can't figure someone out and they tend to be an Aquarian. So that's where like I was, but the overarching is you remind me of a friend of mine from sixth, seventh, and eighth grade and his birthday is July 28th. And it legit felt like you, like it literally felt like you, which by the way is so odd because he's a Leo. And I wouldn't necessarily put the qualities that you're all about, not to say anything bad about Leos, into a Leo persona. So that was where I was just now, whimsically thinking somewhere between your dharmas and your mantras and your superpowers. I was trying to craft my answer. Was I close on anything? You, you, I'm a water sign. I think I'm a Virgo. That's a water sign. No. no, no. It's okay. not, but, but you know what? That's the Taurus that I felt then. That's land actually. Okay. So I'm a Virgo and with a very high Scorpio rising. Like, got it. We, like I've got three Scorpios in like my second house. So that's water. Scorpio is water. And, and, and I think the more older I get, the more Scorpio I become. So, you know, interestingly enough, the, so Scorpio was never traditionally accepting. They're very judging. Interesting. And then as they grow older, they're accepting. They were only judgy growing up because they didn't know how to, they didn't know how to, they just couldn't deal with other people. So it became more accepting as they get older. So but a Virgo, I could see, and that at least honors my Taurus intuition. Okay. I feel validated. 
Fascinating. <laughs> I feel validated. We love Virgos. We we basically have always had Virgos work for us, and all of our best friends are Virgos. So there you go. They're, um, great. They're great for showing up at work. They get the job done. You know, very loyal. Get very the job good. done. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Okay. So our favorite last question. We had a couple. We used to have a couple, and we'd like pick one depending on our guest. Um, is what we call our brand crush. So we, I actually created a program called the Brand Crush Project um, that I present to colleges and career shifters, et cetera. I'm actually doing a class next week, small plug um, for our community on the fourth, which is essentially identifying, you know, companies that make you tick, people who inspire you, and then how to actually get a job there and like what to do to get to work at these companies or with these companies and knowing you know, what the tricks are of getting in the door. But we love to talk to our guests who are obviously running these inspirational brands. Are there brands that you follow, that you emulate, or you're just crushing on right now that you think is doing, whether it's in your space in this, you know, fluid mindset, or if it's your fashion background, or just anything, anything that you're just fully crushing on right now that you think is just killing it? Oh, wow. There's so many, I know. I, Marissa and I literally have like 50 crushes a day. We talk about this all the time. Um, I'm trying not to think of the big ones. I'm trying to think of... Or somebody that helped you survive the pandemic. You know, something that you discovered or a, a place that you ordered food from. I mean, it could be anything. Because um, we love to shout out these companies that are just doing really amazing work whether it's something that helped you survive or something that you just think is really just doing an amazing job. Um, I can't think of anything right now. I mean, I, I, I can't think of, I just want to say, <laughs> like, I want to say the fluid project. <laughs> fluid project done. By the way, if it helps to inspire your answer at all, my answer right now would be Peloton. Um, it has helped me survive this pandemic and I'm fully crushed on them and I think they do amazing work and they do amazing partnerships and their teachers are incredible and I never ever thought if you asked me that question a year ago that I would ever say that interesting um because I was a soul cycle girl through and through I was like I'm never gonna like spinning in my house I'm never gonna motivate to do it and I'm obsessed with it officially so that's if my brand question. Your answer I'd say you know I was never a youtuber before but like when I want to do a 20 minute yoga workout, when I want to do a 10 minute meditation, when I want to do anything, I go right to YouTube. I put yeah. it in there and there it is. And it's, I don't live watching YouTube videos, but it's anytime I want, like when it's 20 minute ab workout, like it's just, it's really remarkable. So easy to find. Yep. Yeah. Peloton app is free. like that too. And it's free. Peloton app is, is like that. That too. is and true. It is free. What you're doing is free. Like my, my 12 year old, she's always on her little YouTube workouts. She loves them. I don't know where, what she's watching or how but, she's you finding know, it. Um, I said, I'm like, why am I paying for all these things again? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So this I think we wonderful. did this thing. We did yeah. this thing. Is there anything that we, is, is there anything we didn't get to cover that you wanted to make sure you mentioned about anything you have coming up? No. Anything about the brand? Covered, I think we covered everything. I think, um, I, I, um, I'm super excited about the future. I'm, I'm optimistic. I 
think that we have as, as hard and, and challenging as this year has been, meaning March to March, you know, COVID to COVID, uh, losing half a million people is something that can't be ignored. But in this, we've learned a lot about ourselves, both as people and as society. And um, I, I, there is going to be an economic boom in six months from now, you know, and we're going to, we're going to live life and we're going to appreciate it so much more because of the experience that we've been through. And I agree. not to take every one of us has suffered to a certain degree, you know, has, has, and everyone's at a different level. And I'm certainly mine is very different than other people's who have lost their houses and, and my heart goes out to them. But I think, you know, now it's time to, you know, really continue to like work toward inclusion, to be more compassionate, to be more humane, have more humanity and to get out of our own head and help other people out and enjoy life, you know, because when we get to run around and hug each other next, um, we're going to remember this experience, what it was like to be isolated for a year of our lives. And so I certainly hope so. I think all of us from no matter how old we are, we have to be changed for the good. We have to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it, it touched us more in different pockets, like here on the East Coast, I think. Um, but maybe the places it touched were the place they needed it the most. I don't know. We all worked. We all, we all maybe weren't so present. And I, I still think that we're working. I think the reason why it's not fixed is because we still have work to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, it seems like we're making progress. It seems like absolutely, absolutely. I mean, listen, we've done so many good things collectively, all of us, yeah. you know, and it's even and being able to plan something and zoom something. I mean, it just depends on the day, a little sunshine. I'm very optimistic. Agreed. I, Give me a couple I, more snowstorms. I'm not getting out of bed. <laughs> I just think, <laughs> I just think collectively and, and not just the three of us, but a lot of people are working to be part of the solution now. You know, we, we are, working to be part of the solution which is empathy humanity inclusion you know we're working on it so you know yeah Thank well you. it is an honor and a privilege to now have you as somebody that i can reach out to i agree um in our web and i am thankful for you spending time with us today i've learned a lot from you in our in our few conversations and i will direct traffic with my voice to your platform to educate, to empower, and to inspire others. Um, And even for myself, for things that I may not be privy to or 100% fluent with, I will turn to you and I will look for you leading with that light. And I appreciate you leading with that light because you are representing a group of individuals that really were loud and they were trying, but they needed, they needed, someone to even empower them more. And I, I think that you and your colleagues are doing a tremendous job, tremendous. And, mm-hmm. and you should really, all those years of work, you could be really proud of what you're doing, really proud. And every day that you look in the mirror before you go to bed, you know that you're doing something important. And it wasn't just because somebody spoke to you in, a, in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Well, this was such a pleasure. Thank you, Rob, for being here. Thank you to our partners at Choice Associates for sponsoring our episode. Thank you to Shared Universe for doing our sound and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week, Rob. Thanks for coming.